Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father and our God, tonight we ask, O oh Lord, we ask that in your kindness and in your grace that your Holy Spirit takes absolute control. We yield ourselves to your ministry and we ask, O oh Lord, that as you have done throughout our time of gathering, take the word of God, open our hearts and change our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that you take absolute control. We pray, Father Almighty God, for those believing God for miracles, those who come and they are looking to you for miracles. We pray that the miraculous will attend their way. Father Almighty God, take absolute control. We yield ourselves totally to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' most holy name, we have prayed. Amen. And we pray that if we, if you're listening to this by podcast, if you're um, re-listening to this, we pray that you are as blessed as we we are tonight. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read from, we're going to pick up our study of Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 14. I will stay in the King James Version of the Bible um, and to start. And so let's pick up the narrative from Ephesians chapter 1. And the Bible says the following, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained and been according to him who kept all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, and this is where we will stop. The Bible says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of of his glory 
And so, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pick up the narrative. Now, I've stopped there. It does continue into a very famous prayer. We'll pick that up in, in, um, in a few weeks. But let us I'll stop reading there. And I'm going to pick up. Now, we stopped last week at verse 6, which was quite, quite interesting. And verse 6 says the following. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's where we that's where we stopped last week. The fact that we are at to that one that your your life and my life are destined to praise the Lord, irrespective of the circumstances that we may be going through. The second thing that we looked at, we realized that um the Bible says that he has made us accepted in Jesus Christ. And so ladies and gentlemen, tonight, as we go before the Lord, we are accepted. We are accepted, not because of our own works or the things that we have done. We are accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's that's our focus. We realize that this is because of what Jesus has done. We find ourselves accepted. And that's where we stopped last week. And just before we go to verse seven, which is where we will start tonight, I want you to begin to notice as we read through verses one to 14, if you can, either underline in your Bible or make notes in your book or your on your notebooks, just how much God has done on your behalf. How much that God has done in Christ, how much is already done for you and I. It's not that it's going to be done. It is already done. And so as we come into the seasons, into a season of transition, as we come into a season of change, as we come into a season of Christmas, as we come to wherever you're listening to this, I want you to understand that God has already laid out a plethora of things that will change your life. He's already done more than you will ever experience in one lifetime. He's done so much. And I want you to please be encouraged as we start tonight. And so we're going to pick up uh, our study from verse 7. The first thing we realize in verse 7, the Bible says the following. The Bible says, in whom, and it's in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so the first, the first two words, ladies and gentlemen, are the fact, the Bible says, in whom. When we talk about in whom, when we say, okay, when the Bible says in whom or in him or in Christ, what I want you to understand or what I want you to realize, ladies and gentlemen, is that notice our confidence is in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our confidence. So when we come before God in prayer, when we come before a challenge, when we come before a good time, when we come to give thanks, I want you to please remember that the finished work of Christ, it is the foundation for which we approach the Lord. That means you can approach the Lord in confidence. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry was successful. We realize that and we can pick that up and actually... Just before we come to the, the next part, notice, let's look at how successful his ministry was, just so that you can um, have that in mind. Turning your Bibles, this will be our, 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 it's what we call a sidebar, Hebrews chapter 12 
And we're going to pick that up from verse one. And it's, and we're going to read from verses one to two, Hebrews 12 from verses one to two. And the Bible says the following, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And then the Bible says the following, and is set down or is seated at the right hand of God of the throne of God. So ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand, these scriptures present to us a totally successful ministry. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus promised, he is, was, and will be. And ladies and gentlemen, remember, that is the person in whom you stand before the Lord. That is the person in whom you approach a challenge. That is the person in whom you come before anything that you're going through. And I'll give you an example. It's like coming before a situation in the name of someone. Let's say somebody who owns a shop, let's call him Mr. Johnston. And Mr. Johnston says, you know what? Go to my shop tomorrow morning and tell them I sent you. When you show up at the shop, your confidence and your assurance is not in yourself. Let's say he gives you one of his business cards and on the back, he says, give this person whatever they want. When you present that I'm here for, Mr. Johnson said, I can have anything in his shop. Notice you are not going to get anything from his staff or from his storehouse because of who you are. You are going to get, and they will respond to you because of who he is. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what I want you to realize. As we go through this study, remember, as we look at all the wonderful things that God has done for us, please keep this in mind. As you approach any situation or circumstance, okay, verse 7 says, in whom we have redemption. Now, the word, let's talk about redemption. When the Bible says, in whom we have redemption, that is what Jesus Christ has done. The Bible says the result of it is that we have been redeemed or we have redemption. Now, redemption is, uh, it's in simple terms. Uh, when I say simple terms, let's break it down a little bit. The word redemption, when you find it in the Bible, the general concept of redeeming. So when you, when you redeem a voucher or when you redeem something that you've paid for it literally means to buy back in its simplest terms it means to buy back now when the bible says we have received redemption it means a lot more than just to buy back it holds within it a few things that we're going to look at and so let's have a look at where the word shows up for the first time come with me please to the book of leviticus and we will see where it comes from leviticus chapter 25 and we're going to pick up the narrative from verse 24 and this is where the word redemption shows up for the first time in the bible the bible says the following 
it's speaking about um, the re when property has been handed to another for one reason or another, whether it's because the person had to sell it or they chose to sell it and, the, and their rules concerning um, land and buying it back, redemption. And this is where we see the word show up first. And the Bible says the following. Verse 23 says the following. Actually, I'll start from, yes, I'll read from 23 for, for um, completeness. And the Bible says the following. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. That is the Lord speaking about the land that he's given to Israel. For is where we are going. And in the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. Okay, you shall grant a redemption for the land. And the Bible says the following, it keeps reading and we'll read to verse 28 and that will give us a picture of what redemption talks about. Um, and I'm going to read, I'm reading in Old English. If it becomes a little bit confusing, I will, um, if it becomes confusing, I will pick it up and I will go from there. The Bible says, if thy brother be waxen poor, that means if your brother becomes poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it. That means the number of years that he sold it to him, he said, look, this is the, this is the benefit that should come to you. I'm going to buy my land back. And this is what I'm adding on top for the benefit you've given me. That's what overplus um, means. Um, and then he said that he may return it to his possession. Verse 28 is key. And I wanted, I, I'm, I'm going to come to that. The Bible says, but if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of jubilee. And in the jubilee, it shall go out and he shall return unto his possession. So this is where the word redeem comes from. It means the opportunity to not just buy back, but also, it means to restore that which was yours before. It means to restore family. It means to restore wealth. It means to restore productivity. And so when you begin to realize the Bible says that in Jesus Christ, we have obtained redemption. We have been redeemed. That means there's a restoration to an original state that Jesus, because he is now our kinsman, and we're coming to that second, we're going to come to that. Because we are now in Christ, that means we are now connected to the Lord, as we said a few weeks ago, as his first son. So when God looks at you and I, he sees one person. He sees Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are part of his body. And the Bible says, because of that, we, the a process of redemption, that means that which has been won back by Jesus Christ, that which Jesus Christ has inherited, 
that which Jesus Christ now has access and control over, he can return to us even though it, it was lost at one point in time. And that's what redemption, that's the picture of redemption. The reason I, I think this, this verse is key is this, notice, even in a difficult time, God does not want it to last forever. He does not want, if you lose something or you have to go through something, there's a time limit. Now, if God puts limits on what is something as simple as land sales, I want you to understand if you are going through anything, there are limits. God says it won't last forever. If you are going through a financial challenge and you have to sell a piece of land, that's absolutely fine. But the reality is it will not last forever. That means you will not transfer to your children an expression of poverty or limitation because at one point in time, God says there are two ways you can get it back. Either you will prosper and be able to buy back the piece of land or somebody in your family will be able to pay whatever the land costs and whatever benefit accrues to it and the bible says then you redeem it then it comes back to being yours and the other person has no long no longer has a claim on it or god says if that's not possible and you find yourself on your own and you find yourself in a situation where there's no one around you that can help he says it will only last until a particular season and the season he re refers to is jubilee and jubilee is enforced by god not man jubilee which is the, um, the what is the 50th year of of the of a season the fifth it was seven sabbaths so seven times seven is 49 on the 50th year in the jubilee the lord says it is like a reset everybody goes back that which was borrowed is returned <laughs> that person who was indentured or is serving out a debt that debt is done even if it's not paid he says on my account that person goes back and ladies and gentlemen that's what redemption is like the bible says in jesus christ we have been redeemed and so what i want you to also understand is it means to restore not just the fact that you are going to make heaven and you have escaped hell and so it, sometimes we feel that when we have been redeemed life is okay, yes, tomorrow will be better, but today stays exactly the same. I'm still struggling with the same challenges. I'm still going through the same limitations. I'm still struggling with my same financial challenges. My child that was a difficult child is still difficult, but you know what? I'm going to heaven. That's the picture that we had. That's not the picture Jesus paints because in the picture of redemption, everything about you is restored. The ability to make wealth is restored to you. The ability to bless those who are attached to you is restored to you. The ability to invest, the ability to live the way you were meant to live, the ability that for you to express yourself the way you were meant to express yourself is restored. So it's not only letting you out of jail, it is restoring you to a fully functional member of society as if that season had not happened 
And so what I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, the Bible says in whom we have obtained redemption. That means every area, every strand and every situation that you go through, every part of your life, the Bible says when you come to Christ, redemption says things are different because ladies and gentlemen, pause for a moment. It is this way. It's the concept of being adopted. If you never knew your father owned the plant, let's use something smaller. Let's say you never knew that your father owned Johnson & Johnson, which is the, the, the imaginary shop we thought about. Johnson & Johnson is worth millions. You do not know that you are related to someone in Johnson & Johnson. One day a lawyer comes and finds you and says, oh, by the way, we've realized that you are related to Mr. Johnson and Johnson. He says that, listen, by virtue of what the, that has been laid down, you are due a section of what the value of Johnson and Johnson. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you realize that everything about your life changes from that moment forward? because they've shown up and says you are connected to a source of wealth, ability, and influence that you didn't have 10 seconds ago. And all of a sudden, what will happen? Even if it's not that you will go on a spending spree or you, no, but life changes. It may take a while for you to believe it, but life changes. All of a sudden, your rent's paid. All of a sudden, you have access to healthcare you couldn't afford before. All of a sudden, you'll find out that you know what that you have the ability to build what you couldn't build before, study what you couldn't study before, eat what you couldn't eat before. Everything you could be kind to those who you wanted to be kind to. You could be more generous to your children. You could be more generous to your husband or your wife. All of a sudden, you realize everything about your life changes because you've been what connected to a source of wealth and influence that you didn't have before and let me give you a simple example this is a very interesting example that's come to my heart and i'm sure it's going to help someone there a few years ago actually almost almost about 20 years ago we had as many young families had we had got into pretty intense debt. We had a mortgage and we were paying through school, paying our children through school by choice. We, you know, we had a variety of credit cards. And so it had got to the point where it was just too much. We had done everything, you know, tried everything. And we realized, hey, you know what, Lord, we honestly need a break. It's off our debts and we'll literally start afresh. Now, that period of our life lasted, let's say, about five or seven years. And we had been waking up and sleeping. And we, if anybody had asked us, do you sleep well? So, yeah, we sleep well. You go to sleep in panic, but you wake up in panic, but you sleep. You eat. We got through. Our children were okay. You know, we just basically continued. In one day, ladies and gentlemen, just to give you an example, I don't know why this example came to mind. Well, I, I honestly know the Holy Ghost knows. And in one day, we sold our house sold. We moved to a smaller house. And so we had in one effectively by, you know, stroke of a pen, 256,000 plus pounds were paid off. And 
we moved house, you know, settled our children into their room. And in one 24-hour period, we paid off £67,000 worth of debt, simply because the equity in our house paid for it. So we literally cleared it. So for the first time in about eight or so years, we owed nothing. And then we went to bed, my wife and I. When we woke up in the morning, we looked at each other and it was a joint feeling. This was what we said. So this is what sleep really feels like in that. So this is the difference between thriving and surviving. Because for the first time in about five, eight or so years, we slept well. Why? Nobody was coming to take a card. No one was going to bang on a door. No letter was going to come through the letterbox. And we realized it affected everything, even though we did not know it. We were sleeping or waking up. But when our debts were paid, there was a depth of sleep and rest that we had not experienced for a while. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you sincerely. And that's what and I want you to understand this about redemption. You've been redeemed. It affects every area of your life when you believe it to be true. When you now realize you have access to the almighty God like you've never had before. And I say this very carefully. Someone needs to realize that it affects every area of your life. And so whatever you're facing, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know you're facing it from a position of being redeemed. Being redeemed, if the, and let's have a look at the couple at the things that it gives you. It means that which has held you before in reality has been squashed. But you now have to step into that. It's a reality. That's how do you do it? You step into it by reading the Bible, spending time in prayer to ask for it, spending time in worship, doing what the Bible says now in small amounts because there's no fear, being kind to other people because the Bible says so. And you'll begin to realize the benefits of your redemption will change your life just like it did ours. I hope that blesses someone. Now, so let's have a look at what else redemption holds within it. There's one other word that is in the meaning of redemption I want to speak about tonight before I go to the next thing. And it's this. It is the biblical phrase, vengeance. Now, many times when we think about vengeance, we think about paying back, God paying someone back the punishment and aggravation that they've given to us and so it's like god you know let them suffer like i've suffered but vengeance is a different word vengeance ladies and gentlemen is where someone who is connected to you by virtue of their resources and abilities balances the scales by taking away or paying for what was holding you back, whatever was the reason you were in debt, whatever the reason you were limited, whatever the reason you were struggling, someone connected to you by blood steps in and says, you know what? His debt's on me. Let him go. 
Either they step in by force. That means behind them, they have a sufficient amount of force to say, based upon what I can do to you, or based upon the fact that my is let this vengeance. Now, when we look at vengeance in the Bible, let's have a look at it because Jesus speaks about a day of vengeance. And it's it's not that a day of where God kills all your enemies. No, no, no. We're going to come to that in a moment. Come with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 61. You see, when the Bible talks about vengeance, it means the scales are balanced. Ransoms are paid. You are not just free, but you are restored to an original state. So let me read a very famous section of the Bible. I'm going to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to read from the King James Version of the Bible. And the Bible says the following. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Let me pause for a moment. I, the Bible says, notice, God just doesn't fix your outside. He fixes your inside. And the Bible says he buys up the brokenhearted. Your capacity to believe for a good tomorrow is returned through the anointing that rests on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whoever it is that needs to know that, please receive that in all sincerity. The Bible says to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That means whatever held you is gone. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Then the Bible says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when we say acceptable, it means the year of delight, the year of favor where God steps in. And when he says acceptable, it means he moves you from where you were to where you should be. And so you're not just free from prison wandering. You are now returned to the status of whoever is delivering you from prison. God says, I'm putting you back to where I, where you came from. Again, that's where the Bible says you are accepted. God is pleased with you. God acknowledges you. God literally lifts you and places you where he has now determined um, you to be. That's when it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, when God shows you favor. When God shows you favor, let, let, I want you to say this with me. When God shows you favor, when God shows you favor, when God gives you favor, when God gives you favor, when God gives you favor, what am I talking about? It is when God steps in and something that you cannot do, God does on your behalf. That's the acceptable year of the Lord. When things work out, not based upon your strength, but based upon the Lord's strength, okay? And that's the acceptable year of the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, may this be your acceptable year of the Lord. May this be your season when the favor of God rewrites your story. Then the Bible says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Notice to comfort, and I'll keep reading, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I'm going to stop reading there. Notice the hinge 
of these verses is the day of vengeance. Now, when we say the day of vengeance, that means based upon everything God has done, he reshapes things the way they should be. And things then change. And so it's not, that's not when he breaks you free from your enemies. The day of vengeance is the replacing, restoring, putting things back together so that they operate the way they should have operated from day one. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what the day of vengeance is like. And you'll notice after the day of vengeance, notice the miraculous starts happening. The Bible says, if you are mourning something, it means something is dead. The Bible says that God will do what? He will comfort all that mourn. That means you will be reassured and enabled to go forward, even though what is causing you to mourn still exists. That means God will move you past something that is dead. He will bring it back to life. The Bible says he will appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. That means he will give you what is required so that what was broken will be returned to you. In the very same way, the same way healing and life came back to Lazarus and God placed him back in his journey of life, even though he had died. That's what we were thinking about. The Bible says to give them beauty for ashes. And I'm just going to go through this really quickly, even though it's preaching material. Beauty for ashes means something that has been totally destroyed. When God gives you beauty for that thing, that means that thing has been not only restored to what it was, but restored to a factory condition. And that means, so ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says the oil of joy for mourning. That means that which was the, the sadness that was literally eating into your bones is removed. And the Bible says the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That spirit of heaviness is lifted. And all of a sudden you begin to praise God because you realize you are free. Okay, and I'm coming. I'm coming. A, a very good question between vengeance and redemption. Vengeance is an integral part of redemption. They are not different. It's a part, and I'm going to show you the part. Redemption is the whole. Vengeance is the bridge. So let me let me point out what vengeance looks like, um, so you get a, a clear picture. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ruth. Ruth has lost her husband. Ruth has come to Israel. And she has come as with Naomi, but they're both widows. Naomi, Boaz takes care of them and, they, and she works with Boaz's people. To cut a long story short, the Bible then says the following. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi, who is her mother-in-law, puts the, um, the law of a near kinsman into play. And she says, go and find Boaz. He's our near kinsman. He will tell you what to do. Now, she goes there as a widow. This is what a day of vengeance looks like. So she goes there, and I, I would like to read the story, so that, but it, it's not the focus. The key element I want you to focus, just to, I'll tell you the story. She goes there, she, you know, she does what um, her mother-in-law says, lays down a bow at his feet, and then when he wakes up, 
in the night, realizes there's a woman at his feet. He says, please put your skirt over me. That means extend your family to me. And that's, that initiates the law of the near kinsman so that to raise children up to the person who is dead. And that means Ruth will then have children and be married. And that Boaz promises her, I'll do that to you. Again, that's another, it's a sermon on its own. I'll do that for you. He sends her back to her mother-in-law, make sure she doesn't go back to her mother-in-law empty. You know, Bajo's version of the story, she goes back to her mother-in-law. But the key element I want you to understand is this. From the moment that kicks in, the process, Boaz hasn't said he will marry Ruth. He says there's someone closer. I've got to sort out a kink in this journey. If he says he doesn't want to do it, then I will do it for you. Do not be afraid. Let's pick up the narrative from verse, um, okay, verse 15. And the Bible says, also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee. Ruth chapter three, verse 15. Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six bar measures of barley and laid it on her and she went into the city. So he gave her what she had not worked for. Different story. Hopefully someone will grab that. Verse 16. Listen carefully. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, that means Naomi says, listen to how she greets Ruth. She said, who are you, my daughter? She doesn't say what happened. She says, who are you now? Because if the law of the, what is called the day of vengeance, when things are being put back together, which in, kicks off the process of redemption, listen to me very carefully. She says, if I know this man, then you are not the same person that left six hours ago. She says, who are you now? And then says, this Naomi said, Naomi says, sit still, my daughter. Verse 18 says, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished this thing this day. Meaning the rest is out of your hands. To cut a long story short, ladies and gentlemen, that's what redemption looks like. It means God makes things happen for and on your behalf. And that means, notice what the Naomi said. She said, who are you now? Ladies and gentlemen, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are no longer the same person that came to him when you were saved. You are now God's son, God's child, God's daughter. You're to use, to, you, things have changed, but they only manifested over the next few seasons in Ruth's life. Ladies and gentlemen, I can assure you, in your life, according to the word of God, things will begin to manifest that things have changed on your behalf. That is what a day of vengeance is like, where someone takes your matter 
and moves it forward by their strength and resources. Redemption is the whole process, the whole package. And Ruth then becomes Boaz's wife and has a child. Notice from that day forward, her status had changed. Who she was had changed. Who she was in Israel had changed. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we want to understand about the day of vengeance. Redemption means you have been bought back, yes, but everything about you has been written. And so the Bible says the so let's go back to our text, Ephesians 1, verse 7. So now have a, a little bit of a better picture by God's special grace about what redemption is. Verse 7. The Bible says through his blood. Now, what I want you to notice, what we're going to talk about now is this. Redemption so come is so powerful and what has achieved on our behalf. It is because of his blood. Because the blood of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to try in the next um, 20 minutes or so to explain a few things. I, don't, I will not exhaust the subject but it will be clear redemption is yours because of the blood of jesus so let's look at what the blood of jesus let's see whether we can open that up a little bit and then look at what it brings into your life the first time we see the word blood in the bible we see the word blood in the book of genesis genesis chapter 4 reading from verse um, 10 and i'll read it to you genesis 4 verse 10 and the reason we go, we do this is one of the principles of interpreting the bible is the law of first mention when something is first mentioned in the bible that particular scenario sets the tone for it throughout the bible and so you find this is the first time that blood is mentioned not the first time that blood is inferred but the first time it is mentioned and Cain has killed his brother and the Lord is speaking to Cain in judgment. And this is what this is part of what he said. I'll read from nine. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground pause so that this is the first time blood is mentioned what i want you to understand is the blood of a person speaks that's the first thing the bible wants you to know that when blood is shed it speaks now that means ladies and gentlemen the blood of jesus that has been shed for you which is eternal and has been presented to God as we are going to look at in the next few seconds, speaks on your behalf. So what did, no, the blood of Abel, because Abel was righteous, his righteousness cried out to God and God listened. And God responded based upon that thing. And then that's what shaped the judgment of Cain. In the very same way, ladies and gentlemen, and that's the first time we see blood in the Bible. That's the first time we see the word. And so we realize that blood is where the person is. And it also allows whatever is in that person to be transferred generationally. Whatever is in 
that man or woman. It's transfer. That's where transfers happen. And that's why parents transfer things to children because of the capacity of blood. We see that, ladies and gentlemen, in John chapter one, and I will go, I will turn there. John chapter one. And I'm going to read from verse um, 12. The Bible says, speaking, now that focus is blood now. Speaking, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Why is that verse so important? It says that the things that can transfer personalities, challenges, covenants, traits, limitations, blessings, stuff like that from one human being to another, when you came to believe God or you became a Christian through believing Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Bible says those three things did not work. One of them was the influence of blood. That means the family you came from. So if everyone in your family um, has a propensity to anger, it's not that you are just waiting for that anger to show up. The Bible says it's broken. The Bible says the only thing that when you became a child of God, it was everything God wanted he poured into you. And that supersedes the impact of blood, the impact of the flesh, and the impact of the will of men. That frees you from covenants, challenges, things that have followed your family, patterns. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that things have changed. But what I wanted you to see in that verse is that, notice, the thing that the Lord pointed out is blood has the capacity to transfer from one person to another. When we see the blood of the blood in the Bible, it speaks in many circumstances. And so what I also would love you to see, ladies and gentlemen, is that the blood of Jesus is speaking on your behalf. And the Bible says redemption comes through blood. So let's let's see what, what that looks like. So what's the first thing that the blood of Jesus gives us? And it is redemption. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll read from verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. And let me pause here because this is what I, I um, um, I've got a question. And I will answer the question because it's a great one. The, 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 the question is coined as follows. Um, good evening. If we are saved, does this mean generational curses are false? It's not that they are false. It's that they are broken. But please remember, if you don't know what the Bible says about you, if you do not come to believe what the Bible says about you, and if you do not declare over your life in place of those things that are speaking curses or challenges or generational challenges, if you are not consistently speaking the blessing, 
the generational challenge will operate unchallenged. But if you introduce into your circumstance by studying the Bible to find out what God has said about you, becoming to believe what God has said about you and declaring, praying and acting according to what God has said about you, that it causes to make a reality the breaking of generational curses. It's not a one day thing. You just keep pressing in, but they will, the hold of those things will break off over your life. So it's not that they're false. It's just that you have now been moved into a blessing, but you must move that blessing from the invisible to the visible. How? By studying, finding out what it says in the Bible. Like the Bible says that God has promised you good health through the stripes of Jesus. God has promised you um, that there will always be provision over your land, according to Deuteronomy 28, reading from verse 12, that God will cause a rain to fall in your land. The Bible says God will keep you in um, drought or God will give you good success by causing all the things that he said to you to be to come to your remembrance. John chapter 14, verse 26. Now, those things are promises. You go and find them. You read them and study them, come to believe them. They become part of your prayers and your confessions and then part of your actions the Bible says what you've now come to believe will replace what was there before. I hope that's clear because the question was so good. And I really hope that answers um, your question. Great question. And I hope that makes it clear. You can go back and listen to it, this again and it, it will help. And so what does Jesus give us? Let's pick up our narrative from Hebrews chapter nine, reading from verse 11. Great question, by the way. Thank you very much. That really helps. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That means when Jesus presents his blood in the holy of holies. The Bible says he buys for us eternal redemption. That means every area of your life has been bought back by the almighty and through Jesus Christ, it has a right to function the way God has caused it to function. And the Bible said the reason it is yours is because he presents his blood to God both. So that serves, and listen, listen very carefully, carefully notice what it says verse 13 i'll keep reading hebrews 9 verse 13 for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh verse 14 how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living god Ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand here is that what does the blood buy you? Redemption. That means every strand and facet of your life has been brought back to function the way God wants it to function. That's the first thing the blood of Jesus buys you. And the Bible says that we have 
obtained redemption through his blood. That's the first thing the blood of Jesus buys us. The second thing the blood of Jesus buys us is this. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Next verse, literally the next verse across Hebrews, the next chapter, Hebrews 10 verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19. And the Bible says the following, and I will read to verse 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Verse 24. So that's where we'll, I'll stop there. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the next thing that the blood of Jesus buys you? Access to the Father. Let me say this carefully. Unrestrained access to God. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, when you come before God, path that nobody can. you can go to your father you see the blood of jesus took away that which was in between you and god which was sin this price of sin was paid but the benefits the things that are in christ that are transferred to you they come to you through his blood and the bible says whenever you come before the father whenever you come before the lord Come with confidence because what he did cannot be undone. And I really hope that helps someone. You have access to the Father. Um, that also is buttressed in Hebrews 12, verse 24. Hebrews 12, verse 24. Let me let me just read that to you. Hebrews 12, reading from 22 to 24. The Bible says, But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling. Now listen carefully that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That means every time you come into the presence of God, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior speaks on your behalf in the positive that God, this is now your child. God, this is what this person is. God, this person is healed. God, this person is redeemed. God, this person is prosperous. God, this person has access to power, ability. All those things, the Bible says, the blood of Jesus speaks on your behalf, allowing God to come alongside you. And Luke 137 says, when he does so, nothing you are facing is impossible last thing for today is this turning your bibles to luke 22 and we will pick up the narrative luke 22 and i'm going to read from verse 15 the third thing luke let me go back go back luke 22 pick up verse 15 the last thing that i want to talk about today as we as we come 
begin to come to an end is what does the blood of Jesus give you? It is access to a let me read from verse 15 and I will stop at verse 20. The Bible says, and he said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruits of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, said, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20. Likewise, after this, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Ladies and gentlemen, the blood of Jesus gives you the last thing we're talking about is a new covenant and a unbreakable agreement with God where God says, listen carefully, where God says, I will keep my part to you, not based on your faithfulness, but based on Christ's sacrifice. You have access to the new covenant. Now, when you take communion, that's where the new covenant is, is, is symbolized. And it is enforced. The broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, frees us from all the things that hamper us. One day we'll go through change of the covenant. But what it does give you is this. You are no longer confronting life alone. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we realize is this. You and I have been redeemed and redeemed doesn't just mean we have escaped the fires of hell. It means we have been restored to an, a life and position that God intended before everything went wrong. That means as you see Jesus, God sees you. And I want you to hold on to that, ladies and gentlemen. Redemption means God only He's restoring all the things in your life that were broken. He's restoring bodies. He's restoring lives. He's restoring marriages. He's restoring hopes. Go ahead and claim. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead and thank God. Go ahead and worship and honor him and ask him that, Lord, this is in covenant. I ask for it and he will give it to you based upon what Jesus has done, not based upon what you have done. Ladies and gentlemen, as we come to the end today, I really wish you the best. Um, I really pray with you that for all of you that require a miracle, I pray that God in his kindness and his mercy will grant it to you. For those of you that need him to intervene urgently, according to the covenant, it says when you call, he'll answer. And so I join my faith with yours. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you next Monday. Thank you for the birthday greetings. Uh, my birthday's on the 7th, so I'm looking forward to that. I honestly wish you the very, very best. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. May God's kindness and mercy attend to you all the way. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.